Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And I am your host this evening, Kim Lakin, and um, we are on scan number 3196 on this Monday, the 5th of June. So we have a wonderful guest, and I look forward to introducing him in just a minute. But first, we have um, a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public especially as it's related to helping society get over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, and presenting facts showing everyone showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we are on scan number 3196. And um, if you would like to be a part of our panel this evening, we'd love to have you call in. We don't have anyone extra on our panel yet, but um, if you'd like to be a part, we'd be we'd love to have you. Six, call 646-595. 2118, and my co-host, Dr. Vance, will meet you on the other line and um, see if you have any questions to ask or if you, you can also just call in and listen. So feel free to call that number to just listen in as well. That's uh, 646-595-2118. And you can also access any of our past shows by going to www.nasca.com. Or .org, I'm sorry, <laughs> not com, .org, and um, search for the scan number of the show that you wish wish to access. So tonight again, we're on three one nine six. I believe that um, maybe our 
guest has called in, but I don't know that for sure, but we'll have to check in a minute. Um, but tonight's special guest is Mike, and I'm not sure about his last name, so I'm not going to say it so I don't butcher it too much. But he is from Hopkins, Minnesota, and he is a returning NASCA family member. Mike runs Invisible Children, which is a nonprofit action tank that supports the people, policies, and programs that improves the lives of at-risk children. He knows all the statistics of child abuse. On tonight's show, Mike will review a recent high-profile investigative report on children murdered by their caregivers while in child protective service. The COVID pandemic has kept many children locked in to their violent and toxic homes with no escape to access or access to teachers and other band-aided reporters to help them escape the violent homes and to find safety and healing. About 12 million American children are reported to Child Protective Services annually. Without help, traumatized children grow up with mental health and behavioral problems and dysfunctional lifestyles. Mike is also the founder of Kids at Risk Action, a nonprofit supporting the people, policies, and programs that improve the lives of at-risk children. Mike is the keynote speaker, including the United Nations in New York, and is the author of many newspaper online articles and his book, Invisible Children. Preteen mothers, adolescent felons, and what can we do about it? It shines a light on the lifelong impact and traumas of child neglect and abuse and violence that it is having on all of our children. So I don't know, um, Dr. Nancy. Can you hear me? There you are. Yes, I was just going to say I'm bringing you on. So good okay. evening and welcome to our show, Mike. We're glad to have you. Good evening, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my name is Kim. I don't know if you heard that in the very beginning, but um, I'm your host this evening. And it looks like we have Bill on as well. So he's hopefully going to, um, I don't know if he has something to say. We're going to go ahead and bring yeah, him on. Hi. And I think Nancy's on as well. Hey, Bill. Okay. Um, Mike Kittenen is uh, familiar with our format and everything about NASCA because he's been with us a few times, a number of times. Um, Michael, thank you for calling in again tonight, and thank you for being our guest this evening. Well, it's great um, to be here. <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> now, you um, step forward because you have a particular um, a story that you'd like to promote, that you'd like to tell us about, not promote, but a pretty horrible story. And we want to help you get the word out, so you're here to help us, to, so we can help you do that. Um, and uh, you know, it, you can you can talk about, of course, your uh, nonprofit, Invisible Children, as well, uh, the whole thing. But we want to highlight this investigative report about children that were murdered by caregivers while they were in Child Protective Services (CPS). Um, so that's. 
big story here. That's the big thing here, Kim. But Mike um, has, you know, has a, a plethora of experience in uh, helping children, of course, and, uh, and, and we're delighted to have him back again. Michael, thank you very much. You're very welcome, my friend. Great. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, Mike, so, so we I can wanted... just go ahead and get to know right. all of that. We can kind of turn it over to you, but go ahead, Bill. No, I wanted to get I wanted to give you a little background on Mike before we before you get started, but uh he, he's comfortable with um, you know, starting anywhere <laughs> anywhere you want him to, but we do want to include a big chunk of the show on this this new report. Perhaps perhaps at the top, perhaps a little later. Okay. Yeah. So why don't we do this, Mike, if you don't mind? Um since you've been on before I know that there may be some people that know your story and then there may be some people that don't. So if you don't mind just kind of going over what got you into this line of work, why you do this, we can kind of start there and then kind of build up into what you wanted to talk about as well. And we'll make sure we have plenty of time for that. But just to kind of give us a background. Does that sound okay? I accidentally became a guardian at Light and Volunteer. Uh, and I do mean accidentally. It was one of those things that found me in 1996. And most of you know what a CASA, a court special advocate volunteer in the court system for abuse and neglected children, um, a, an advocate for the child. And it was an overwhelming experience. Uh, I learned a lot about child abuse and how the courts work and how social workers approached their work, and after a few years, I, I put together a nonprofit that would be an outspoken advocate for all abused children everywhere, because it is a great sadness, and part of what I'm going to talk about tonight is related to how overwhelmed the system is and how important it is that those of us that can do something, can speak for these children, do so. And I think that it is imperative that state representatives, policymakers, and the people that make the laws and the process and the programs, or pay for the programs to keep children safe, uh, they need to know more. And I learned quickly that as I started public speaking back in the late 1990s and early 2000s, that at that time, most people, business people, most community members had little or no idea of what child protection was or how it worked or how it didn't work. And while people read about sad things in the paper when they happen, they have little or no understanding of how these things are all tied together. You know, rant, you know, they feel terrible about things, but what can they do? And they, you know, most of the time a kid that's been abused does not make the newspaper unless they die. We had a little seven-year-old, six-year-old hang herself in Minnesota some years ago, not long ago. Uh, and, you know, and people can't believe it. They don't understand it. But the self-harm... And the things that I've become familiar with, 
I was 12, act, 12 years uh, active. I removed, uh, helped to remove about 50 children from really dangerous, bad homes. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't blame the parents. It, 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 is, it is most likely that they have also been abused. And that, that was my experience. Uh, it became obvious to me, though, after so many years, that more had to happen. And it is traumatic to be involved in that field when you get to work with uh, my first visit to a four-year-old was at a suicide ward of a hospital. I had a 12-year-old that was going to kill himself by cop one day when I was with him. And he tried to hurt himself. He tried to kill himself a couple times before then. So it's all leading up to the investigative report that I'm going to talk about that I think is a game changer, that I think each and every state, for those of you who are listening, I am going to ask you to make the note that it's on our website, on the main page, invisiblechildren.org, and I'm going to make the statement that if you have it and you know it and you, you link to it and send it to your state rep, after this interview, maybe you'll be able to call them or write a note about why we think this is important. It's not just the first one done in Minnesota. It is the first real investigative report that I've seen, and I've been working on this for many years. If you look at our website, you know, we've been reporting on this for over 20 years. There's 1,500 pages on our website on our topic tonight, and uh, on the front page is this important investigative report. And my desire, of course, is that some of you will take a look at that and, and copy the link and send it to your state rep with a note saying that this is important and we think we need one of these in our state. And now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the report. And... Uh, and how and why it's a game changer. Basically. Can I just say something though, real quick? I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time following a four-year-old trying to commit suicide. That just, how does that happen? Oh my, I mean, I know, but I, I don't understand how a four-year-old can get the concept of trying to commit suicide. I'm stuck on that. I'm sorry. That's astute. That's an astute observation. <laughs> Allow me to elaborate. Uh, they never succeed. Yeah, Four, they don't succeed. At five, they don't succeed. At six, they succeed. Kendria Johnson hung herself. Oh. It's an anomaly. It's very hard to figure out how to kill yourself when you're six years old. You really got to hate yourself. She left a note in crayon, oh. hung herself from her bunk bed. In Florida... Uh, Gabriel Meyer hung himself. Yeah, he hung himself. Seven years old. The note he left could have been written by a kid in high school. He hated Prozac. Now, I can get on and talk about the kids themselves, but and maybe I should. Maybe I should sidebar here and say that it is common that the children that I've worked with really, they hate themselves. They feel they were part of what happened to them, that they caused what happened to them. They have such terrible guilt feelings, and then they don't fit in. Now, usually, the real severe damage comes when they become 
11 and 12 years old, and they start to wake up in school to how different they are than the rest of their classmates. And they really have had a lot of behavioral problems based on the traumas they've had because that's what trauma does to people. It gives them all kinds of behavioral problems. One of my boys, 12 years old, weighed 80 pounds, beat up his teacher so bad, she quit and sued the state. And I, I've just been around it so long, and I'm sorry it sounds so rote. Believe me, I'm upset about it. That's why I do what I do. Uh, as a practical matter, uh, to suicide and self-harm, it's really common. It is the most underreported thing in all our schools, in all our child uh, protection system. That's my belief. I think for every six-year-old that successfully kills him or herself, there are two to three hundred. I think that's what the what the uh, professionals think is that there are two to three hundred of them that try, but they fail because they don't know. Mechanically, it's a complicated thing. The self-harm, on the other hand, razor blade cutting, uh, just dangerous lifestyles. If you follow the ACEs report done by the medical community a few years ago, and it's a big deal. If you want to know more about it, again, it's on our website, or you can contact me and I will send you information. But I'm guessing most of you know something about the ACEs work, adverse childhood experience work that's been done. You know, they now have a tool that they use. It's a measurement tool to find out how much trauma someone has suffered. And that way they can uh, more accurately address the help that is needed. So did I make sense to you about suicide and self-harm? I can go on if you wish. Yeah, no, I mean, it just breaks my heart, really, to just think about that. And it, it, it is I'm, awful, very sad. But the yeah. investigative report, actually, oh, do you want to speak a little? Um, No, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay, the investigative report I, I want everybody to know about because I I believe that if state representatives, state legislators saw it, they would begin to understand what is happening in child protective services. Now, Minnesota has been a progressive state, and so our report, as awful as it is, and believe me, it's awful, uh, wouldn't hold a candle to most other, you know, I mean, we've been in the top two, three, four, five percent, ten percent for sure, of of most of the indices of child uh, well-being. So, if our report's bad, what's it like in Louisiana, Texas? Uh, you know, I mean, I can go on. I know states where it's dangerous to be an at-risk child. The police don't like you. Uh, I'm going to say a word about that right now too. Is that uh, when the soldiers came back from the wars recently, the courts realized that those people were suffering, those veterans were suffering from post-traumatic stress, and they were trying to be kind to them in the courts because they had these terrible behaviors. They beat up their children. They beat up their wife. They do bad things. And uh, so it was recognized that trauma does things to people. And we recognize it happens to children too, but we have not yet really turned the corner on on helping kids early and not putting them in jail, not prosecuting them as adults when they're 12. And I have a friend now, a Catholic guardian litem, that has two um, 14-year-old boys about to be charged in Minnesota as adults for the terrible things that they have done. But again, the things that were done to those boys 
is 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 awful. It's awful. And to think that those boys are both going to very likely spend every day of their life in institutions. And the Supreme Court has just recently overturned that law where they were not allowed to put 12 and 14-year-old and 16-year-old kids away forever and ever, you know, especially if they come from those families where they were terribly abused and had all kinds of trauma. So... Yeah, and I was say something else real quick. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, Mike, that, um, and I, I understand what you're saying about not blaming the parents. You had mentioned that earlier. Where, and I get that to some degree, but I also get, you know, that it takes somebody in that family to stand up and say no more and to stop that generational abuse. You, you assume a lot on. when you say that. We can all want to blame yeah. somebody, but it doesn't do any good. And I'm going to point no, out that um, in my experience, almost every mother that has been through this, her mother was abused. I've been in a courtroom with yeah. two or three generations of people that came out of violent abuse. And they're broken people. And what I have are 13 and 14 and 15-year-old girls with no parenting skills, a drunken boyfriend or a violent boyfriend, and a, and a drug habit, and and some things happen, and it's you know they, they are so broken, and it's at a young age, and what we really want to do is help fix the kids and fix the family, if we can. A lot of the families really can't be fixed, and it's best if the kids find a home where they're safe. And I'm the the reason I made I'm I'm, I'm here tonight is is to talk about the failure of Minnesota's child protection system to keep children alive. That, that's something. When you think about the purpose of a child protection system, at the very least, it should keep children alive. And this report was done uh, with counties that didn't participate. Uh, four, four counties didn't participate. And the counties that did participate about half the counties in Minnesota, not quite, actually less than that, maybe even a third, uh, they only shared information that was already publicly available. And the point I'm going to make about that is that a big reason there's so much child abuse in America is because people do not understand how much of it there is, how serious it is. And to give you a perspective of how much of it there is, I start by saying that for every family in Hennepin County, Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I live, for every case in the county courts uh, represent 3.9 children. So it's the, the number of kids per family in, in child protection have been growing, uh, have been growing for a long time. And there are 3.5 million calls a year pre-COVID reporting child abuse in America. And uh, even though the calls were down during COVID, that's because there were no mandated reporters. Teachers are mostly the mandated reporter. And uh, schools were closed, and those kids were locked in those homes for, you know, between one and two years. And that represents over 12 million children a year. It's a, it's a big deal. And so 
the report tries to uncover why these children died, how they died, and um, what could have been done to keep them alive. Now, in general, the system itself tries to keep families together, called a family assessment uh, protocol, and they they do everything they can to keep the family together. And I, I respect that. You, you have to respect that. But not when the child's going to die. And that's what I'm talking about. And for every child that died, you have to assume that there were and I'm going to say dozens, that were suffered. In my experience as a guardian later in Hennepin County, Minnesota, that there were, there were a dozen kids or more that, that suffered unbelievable punishments and trauma over extended periods, uh, and they're going to live very difficult lives because they weren't removed, because the system itself is geared to overuse family assessments. And there's a lot of mistakes made. The system is overwhelmed when you're a social worker and you have 30 cases and you've got maybe 100 kids to keep an eye on to keep safe. Uh, and, you know, half your time is spent on paperwork. And, again, it's not your fault as a social worker that that's the truth. But how much time do you get to spend with the kids and you know, it's just really hard work. Um, my hope here is that, again, this report, if you look at pages 19 to 32, and you read the case histories of each child, why they died, how they died, and how it could have been prevented, you'll see that it's not that complicated. I use the example of a boy named Derek Dean who died uh, a few years ago, when um, there had been 15 reports by mandated reporters, and there had been a number, I think one visit, maybe one visit by Child Protective Services, uh, and the boy was not seen at that visit, and he died not long after. The top of his head was chewed off, his face had been bite, bitten, had a lot of bites on his face, broken bones, and again, 15 reports by uh, health officials that saw him and daycare workers that saw him. Um, so these are inexcusable failures. As a matter of fact, our governor of Minnesota, Governor Dayton at the time, called child protection a colossal failure or that in, in, on that case in Minnesota. And again, uh, there was a task force formed and Things were changed. Two of the things that were changed, I think, are very indicative of what I'm talking about with failure. Uh, the one was that at that time in this state, there were four counties that screened out uh, 90% of the calls, 90% of the calls of abuse. And again, counties are underfunded, and we can make all kinds of excuses as to why that is, but it killed him. And at four, you don't deserve that kind of a death. I, I really... I'm unhappy with some of the things that I that I've seen in different states, and at the same time, uh, the second thing in this state at that time was uh, that uh, I'm going to think. Oh yeah, there was a law in the books forbidding social workers from reviewing prior cases of child abuse in that family as they reviewed the new case. 
which is reprehensible because that's really how abuse happens. I mean, as a sidebar, I don't know if anybody here knows, but uh, child abuse is actually epigenetic. Epigenetic. In other words, you have a genetic disposition, predisposition to abuse if you come from an abusive family. If it's something like brown eyes and blue eyes. And so we have tried as a nation to uh, keep children safe. And if you read the report, you'll see that, you know, kids really in, in Minnesota, which was a good state, were not kept safe. Uh, and, and I'm sure that if you've been reading the paper, every once in a while you see articles about how Abused children are being kept in hospital emergency rooms because there's no group homes or foster homes. And there's a lot of trouble in the foster care system. There's a lot of trouble in the group home system. I could start going on about the trouble with Prozac and Ritalin given to five-year-olds. And by the way, according to the manufacturers of those drugs, and I am really personally familiar with this, there's a reason they print may, may cause suicidal ideation on every single pack, package of those drugs. It's because it does cause suicidal ideation. Fully formed thoughts of killing yourself in the middle of the day, unstoppable. Um, hard to explain that if you've never experienced it. And I, I know that Johnson & Johnson and other big pharma were fined billions of dollars in 2014, and I quote, for illegally selling those drugs for use by young children and selling the drugs to pediatricians for use on young children. And it's important to recognize that that really is just a rounding error and that those drugs are still being used because they're really not mental health services. There are so many holes in our system of taking care of other people's children that it is embarrassing. I know that the United States of America led in the quality of life indices for a long, long time. We have more money than any other nation in the world. And if I start talking about the cost of what this is, I always start by saying that our Supreme Court Chief Justice Kathleen Blatz has claimed that 90% of the kids in juvenile justice have come from child protective services. And we know that almost all the people in prison come from juvenile justice. And now today and for the last 10 years, the nine-year recidivism rate in America has been between 80 and 90%. So my kids start out in child protective services. They spend some time in juvenile justice, and then they go to jail. And I just told you about two 14-year-olds that are going to skip the juvenile justice system. It just hurts me to know that not enough people do know what I know. This investigative report that I keep referring to is clear. Um, Kids in Child Protective Services need more help. Minnesota is a good example of a state that has tried hard and been a leader in the past. Um, We're still pretty good, but compared to the rest of the nation, I'm sure that, and and, and I don't think I made this point quite as strongly as I wanted to when I started, but this is the only report in the nation like it. I've never seen one like it. And I spent 20 years writing and speaking on this topic, and I hoped that I would have seen one. 
um, I don't think it's only one only one in the country. Uh, it may be, it may be the only one on the planet. I don't know. Uh, I know that in Europe they're a lot more open about about their systems. The problem that we deal with here in America is that our institutions are pretty private, and they only uh, let out information that they want to let out. The schools are pretty good about graduation rates and a lot of the details and metrics there are. are, are. And uh, the military, or excuse me, the policing, uh, they, they too, they, the breakdowns of racial and uh, the kinds of folks that work with crimes they have are pretty well recorded. But child protection metrics are terrible. They represent uh, pretty much the employee production. In other words, on-time reports and uh, that sort of thing. So they're measuring their employees. They have no outcomes information that are commonly made available. And so we really do not know how many 13-year-olds are pregnant in Child Protective Services or uh, how many children a young woman might have by the time she's 21, 22, 23. Again, no parenting skills a violent boyfriend and a drug habit, and how many of the young boys are, are headed to prison for a long, long time. And I think that if people understood just the numbers and a better breakdown of metrics, and again, state representatives, the people, the legislators that make the laws, they certainly could demand more outcomes-based information from Child Protective Services. I think that's very important so that we can see that these kids are actually graduating from high school. They're getting the mental health help they need. You know, and this is crisis nurseries uh, for, for troubled families. The good news is that there are dollars in this administration at this time to do some of these things. Five, six, seven, eight years from now, there may not be. And then social workers will be taking 40, 50, 60 cases instead of 30. And instead of 100 kids, it will be 200. And there's just no way on earth. We're not doing a good job now. Uh, and, again, I'm not throwing any rocks at any of the people doing the work. That's not my intention. I, I believe that most people that get into this field, as the field of policing, as the field of foster care, you know, they do it with an open heart and they're trying uh, with the resources and training they have. But this is a slow shift to turn. And if the rest of us don't take this report, this investigative report, to our state representatives, if we just shuffle off and, you know, nothing I can do about it, there is something we can do about it. State reps need to know. They want to know. The expense that we are seeing with kids that are virtually spending lifetimes institutionalized uh, is, uh, is a great tax burden, and there's so much crime. I mean, most violent crime is committed by juveniles and young adults. The car uh, hijackings, the things that we're seeing now from all the mental health issues from COVID. Now, I should shut up and let you ask me questions if I've, if I've talked too long. I think I have. Do you have a direction for me? No, no, I mean, I, well, I think we're just enjoying listening to all that you have to say. So much information. 
it. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, why don't we check in with um, Dr. Nancy and see if she has anything that she wanted to ask. Are you there, Nancy? Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I'm actually just really taking in the information and sharing some really important resources. Um, the only thing that I try or, or that we've been learning, because we're learning so much, and uh, so we normally don't say successful attempt or unsuccessful attempt or failed attempt, and that's just as we're learning, you know, um, about the language or, you know, committed suicide. Um, I'm a survivor of suicide, and then I lost my sister to suicide, So, um, and I volunteer for the American Foundation for Suicide. Um, prevention, and so I'm consistently around the topic, and so I'm learning every day different things and words that I use myself. Um, so other than that, you know, because it really was breaking my heart just hearing about the children. I think, um, you know, he's sharing some really important information that people need to hear, you know, because they're living in, in their own life, you know, with their own stuff. But these are facts, and this is an issue that's really, really affecting our youth, and that um, and it needs to be addressed. I want to just tell you, thank you for the work that you're doing in the community, and your commitment and dedication to the work that you've been doing for as many years as you've been doing it. Um, I know it's not easy work, but um, we thank you because it's very needed in our community, and um, just looking forward to hearing more. Um, more. It was just great information. Hard to hear sometimes, but very needed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good um, One of the... Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people listening probably have been touched in some way by attempted or completed actions of suicide in their family. And so it is good information to hear this. One of the things that I have also always said about my own um, trauma as a child is I'm glad I didn't go to foster carers or social services. You know, I, I had lots of different abuse going on, but I know that my mom was also covering for my stepdad who was abusing us and um and she worked as a paralegal in the local right in our in our city there. So she um I, I'm sure had insight and and hearing all these horror stories of children who were even more abused in those places. There's gotta be something that can be done. And um, and I wanted to, because I was looking at your website, and I wanted to just see if you could direct us to that letter that you're talking about to send to legislature in our state, because I'm not quite okay. sure uh, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, what I'm asking people to do is go to invisiblechildren.org, and on the front page, I'll bring it up as I talk to you, there are three links right away. And the bottom link, 
uh, is okay under our current initiatives okay and then just below that it says find your state rep here and under here there's a link and then what we're going to do is send the fourth button down which is safe passage investigative report on child maltreatment death in child protective services so if you click on that you click on that that opens up uh the report and if you send that print that and send it to your state with a note that this is the first report of its kind i would like to see one done in my state you know put your state here and a note about what you've heard tonight in your own words that i am concerned that we don't have this kind of a report and it may take you a little time if you want to be able to address the issues our our website has 1500 pages and it can be searched by a word or by a category and there's just a lot of information about the things I'm talking about tonight and if you scroll to the uh featured articles on top there's about 15 of them they hit the highlights if you know at invisiblechildren.org on the third button over i think it is uh yeah educate and inform second button down is featured articles and that covers um a lot of what i said tonight and and other things i'm going to give you an example of how expensive it is crime in america we tried to do a financial analysis of just how expensive it is to have kids locked up for 30 40 50 years and you know that's not an exaggeration because they don't get out for long a lot what really is happening in america today recidivism is that people can't live outside once you've been incarcerated especially from a young age it becomes your life and so you live this different kind of a life inside of a prison our prisons are harsh have been for a long time and so when you get out you have mental health issues that have not been addressed because that's not why you know it's just not our thing we we have minimal services for people that are incarcerated And so they come and go. They they commit a crime just to get back into jail as they get older. A lot of the time young people commit crimes for you know this is a whole psychological evaluation now but I mean once you're not part of the group, once you don't belong and you know you don't belong, you will join a gang, you will make your own rules and you will get in trouble. It's just a cycle. And so you know I I feel sorry for law enforcement and I feel sorry for teachers. It's not easy anymore. I was a I was going to be a teacher when I got out of college and I'm, you know, I'm working with kids that beat up their teachers. So about the eighth one in on our scroll is American crime costs and statistics 
That's a fascinating page. It's based on two studies that were done by two universities, Washington University in St. Louis and Iowa, Iowa University. Uh, and it shows that American crime in America is uh, between a half a trillion and a trillion dollars a year. And that does not include if the crime happened to you. Because when the crime happens to you and your family, it's, uh, well, let's just say it this way. There's no way $50,000 is going to cover the assault or the burglary or the rape. Uh, and when you get into the cost of uh, executing people, I mean, the numbers that are involved add up. And there's just so much crime. Uh, and it's happening for a reason. It's happening because we have a pretty militarized police force, unlike Europe, unlike, and I know people don't like to consider, but uh, we really are not, you know, I think we have five to ten times the problems that they do in crime and homicide and certainly in guns. Uh, and actually, the guns are so common now that people, even the police are afraid. I mean, it just become who we are. Our politics are quite sad, and I'm not asking anybody to do anything differently other than have a greater appreciation for two-year-olds, <laughs> you know, five-year-olds and ten-year-olds, and realize that blaming people doesn't work anymore, especially when we're talking about really broken families with a lot of mental health issues. We have to stop it, and the way to stop it is to take care of the kids, and realize that we're going to have to pay a little bit more on the front end to do that. But the cost of the crime in America, and that doesn't really get into the cost of the broken education system, which I will take a minute and talk about. One of our board members made public policy in Europe for 10 years on children's issues, and he made a big deal. His name was David Strand. He wrote a Ph.D. thesis called Nation Out of Step that explained that if kids aren't ready for school, they are not ready for school. So I'm talking to you about the 12 million kids a year reported to Child Protective Services. A great percentage of them have trauma in their lives. And only 600,000 are actually entering the system. So, you know, 11,400,000 of them really aren't being addressed the way they probably should. Uh, and so they go to school, and they, if you're a teacher, can disrupt the whole class for the whole day. And teachers really are now spending more time with my kids keeping the other kids safe from them and those kids safe from themselves because they have all these issues. Uh, I have had I've experienced where, you know, Using the punishment model on my kids is just is just one more nail in the coffin. They already hate authority because they've been abused by the most authoritative figure in their life. And so when they are beat down one more time by one more authority figure, uh, you know, it just adds to the bricks in the wall that mean they're never going to be anybody. They're never going to mix with us. And they will have their problems uh visit them on us, and that's what's happening. There's a lot of them been going on a long time, and the COVID lockdown has exacerbated this, so I see this wave of of, of even more damaged youth going to come through, and they really don't wake up to that until they're 10, 11, 12, and so it's a combination of they don't have the skills, 
and they have a lot of issues and we're not dealing with it. So if we can raise this to a higher level of public concern, if more of us can actually, again, go to the website, look at that maltreatment report, download it, just send an email to your state rep, and if you have, you know, and actually they they are required to see you. Your state rep's your state rep. There's a button there, you know, you push the button how to find your state rep. It'll tell you who that person is. And if you do take the time to read any part of pages 19 to 32, I think you'll do that because it is stunning what happened to those kids. And it is happening in your state, I guarantee you. Every state's got it. And we, you know, we're not scratching the surface with this report. And I'm telling you the truth that I don't think this report has ever been done. There's all kinds of reports that they say were done, but they're not this report. You look at this report. It is really well done. It gets into the life of the child and the parent, and it follows them day by day, basically, as to what happened and why and how and what we need to do to not have it happen anymore. And actually, yeah, I will go on one more thing, and then I'll shut up. Uh, in my state right now, there's a movement to disband the Volunteer Guardian and Lightem program where I live and what I'm a part of and have been since 1996 because it's inefficient. Now, the difference between a paid guardian and a volunteer guardian like me is I spend whole days with kids. Volunteers come from the community with their own background. There's 950 Casa Guardian Litem organizations in this country, and uh, they advocate for children in the, in the courts. That's what they do. And uh, it's heartbreaking to me to see a system that's under such stress that it is pulling you know, the wagons together in a big circle and not letting information out. We helped them. We lobbied to help them get the money they needed to hire more employee guardians at Lightham. But they still have to take 30 cases. They still have to have 100 kids. And they still have to fill out the paperwork and do that. It just, this is what happens. And I could start getting into all the politics of it and all that, but it's too much. So I ask you to take some time for our website. Um, if you click under Educate and Inform, the bottom button is get our Friday morning emails. And if you do that, every Friday morning we do an update. And your state might come up. And you can search for your state, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess I kind of got through the basics. And if there are questions or observations, I'd be glad to. Yeah, thank you. I know. Um, when my son was he must have been about 16 he um, went to his counselor at, at his school and told her that he had tried to commit suicide or he had thought about it when he was 12 and then she called me and what I loved about <clears throat> excuse me the um, the district that we're in, the school district that we're in, is they have um, I don't know how they they put it. I I forget how exactly they put it, but um, you can take your child if, if they have suicidal ideation to a counselor. 
counselor and they have, you know, a list of counselors that are, are willing to do it, I guess, kind of as a, for free. So it doesn't cost the parent or the child anything to go to them. And you get like 12 sessions or something. And so I know my son went there and it seemed to really help him. And then when those 12 sessions were up, we tried, we found somebody, or I was trying to find somebody within our network, which was Kaiser. And um, we took him to the psychiatrist at Kaiser to get evaluated, you know, because we hadn't done that yet. And when we walked in there, I said to her, first thing, I said, you know, I don't want pills just thrown at this. I think that um, we could give him some tools and some other things just and and as as long as well as therapy, you know, to help him through this. And um, and the first thing she did was write a prescription for those apps. And it, it just made me so mad. And my son decided on his own within probably not even a year that he was going to quit taking it. And I'm glad that he did because it just made me so mad because I've heard also horror stories about that too. Like you say, it can contribute to it. So, you know, to give something like that to a child where that is one of the side effects and that's what you're trying to treat it for doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was very frustrated with them for doing that. But as a parent, I, don't, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know what else to do. I didn't have really that knowledge. And it had surprised me so much because my son and I had such a good relationship. I mean, I felt like he talked to me about anything. And then for him to come and tell me that, it just broke my heart. Because, you know, my yeah. goal, especially, you know, coming from an abusive home, my goal was to change that trajectory and, and not have that abuse continue. And, um, and I think I, I definitely succeeded, but I, I know that there was also places that I failed because of that, because I didn't have all of the tools that I needed, really, to understand how to parent my children, and especially my oldest sister. She holds things against me, for sure, still to this day. And, um, you know, I apologize. I can, all I can say is I've tried, you know, I've tried my hardest to change that. But... Um, and I didn't mean to ever hurt her, you know. So it's, it's been interesting. And now we've got this whole, and I never really told them of my abuse as they were growing up. I didn't share that with them at all. So um, this is I've been sharing. And I've been, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't want it to be their problem. And I think that I spent so many years still trying to, get my brain straight that I didn't know how to either and I didn't want it to just yeah I don't know I just <laughs> I've they pretty much know everything now and um, yeah like I said it's, it's been hard for some of them but my son it just really surprised me because I knew my girls didn't talk to me about most of what was going on especially when they were teenagers but my son and I have always had a real close relationship and then when he turned 18, he told me that he was gay. And so, well, he, he said he was pansexual at the time, which I didn't have any idea what that was about. But I had to 
you know, I, I had no idea that was coming either. And so that's been, you know, something that we've worked through. And, and he knows that I'm here to support him. But I had to change my, you know, you've got hopes and dreams and thoughts of your for your children, even though you're not supposed to project that onto them. But, um, you know, he's he's definitely changed that whole trajectory of what I thought, which is fine, though. I mean, he's, he's a wonderful kid. He's done really, really well in life now he's almost 25 and he's on his own and getting married and so he's done well but I I didn't have all those tools so it would be good to know too as a parent you know we we have those signs that you say to look for but when you're right in the middle of that whole parenting cycle it's hard you've missed a lot of signs too even when you're trying not to not easy. I'll give you the yeah. It's good to have <laughs> friends and resources like people you can talk to. Peer groups are great, and it's nice if you have somebody that's got training in it. A lot of it really is 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 new with the trauma-informed approaches. That's where education hopefully can play a role. In my estimation, the concept of mental health is going to do a 180 in the next five, 10 years because we've operated off the DSM, that big encyclopedia of labels for mental health issues. And that's almost meaningless to me in the kids I've worked with. They've all had trauma. They had one thing wrong with them, you know, and that happened to them that made them change. And it's actually biological the amygdala or amygdala, how it's pronounced, you know, it begins, it becomes the decision maker. The, the brain, the hippocampus, that part of the brain that's critical thinking quits at a point if the abuse is bad enough. And so I, I was really appalled in the three years ago, I think, the DSM was republished $60 million, the psychological Encyclopedia of America, not of the world, really. They get two pages to trauma and child abuse. You know, it's just, the thing is trauma. People have things that happen to them, and, uh, and we need to help them get over that, get through that, get the skills they need. You know, I've covered a lot of stuff, but not nearly what's on the website. I mean, there's so many pieces to this, and for a parent, You know, I I do feel your pain. I mean, when all of a sudden you wake up and you find this new thing that you're not familiar with, and how do you, how do you react? And it's good to have help. It's good to have people you can talk to. I really do believe in peer groups and belonging and being able to talk openly. You can figure it out, get help to do a better answer. Because our approach forever has been hard. We are a punishment-oriented society. We think, you know, that you can train people by punishing them, I guess. And and, and that doesn't work. It particularly does not work with people that have been punished a lot. That's why, you know, that's why they do the things they do. They've got these issues and they don't have the same love and respect for the rest of us or themselves. And it's just a lot easier to do 
bad things. And it's, it's almost seamless. It's You are going to be the family you came from unless somebody helps you do something different. Yeah, unless you see something different, like you said. I think I, think I remember... Well, I remember starting to go to church. That was one thing that my mom did was she sent me to church, and there was a bus that came to pick us up, so she didn't have to get up and get ready or anything. But um, And I think that was definitely one of my saving graces. Um, and then having some friends, like you said, whose house I went to, and noticed there was a difference in how people are acting, you know, in the household and how they just interact with each other and communicate with each other. It was just a lot different, but then again, there were also, you know, families that my parents hung out with that were into drugs and and abuse, so I also, you know, I saw that really stark contrast in homes, and I remember probably at about 11 or 12 thinking, you know, this is a, there's a big difference. Something's not right (laughs) at my house, you know, you just kind of come to yeah, something that's not right. But um, should we see if Dr. Nancy has anything else she wants to say or, or Bill? Either one? Do you guys have any questions? Yeah, I just, um, again, I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, this topic is not an easy one to talk about, but you're doing a great job. Um, the more we talk about it, the more we bring awareness to it. And the more we're able to save children, and that's really the ultimate goal, um, trying to prevent uh, these children from growing up and committing crimes. And uh, we want them to be an asset to our society. And just like you said, a lot of times that punishing, punishing, punishing is not helpful. And so even today, you notice that a lot of parents are practicing soft, uh, gentle parenting and this trying different ways because me, when I was younger, I was used to getting whooped and beat and hit with a broom and hit with an extension cord and, you know, things like that. And that was discipline and normal to me uh, at that time. But that did uh, affect me in a way that when my children were growing up, I became a disciplinarian and I used to spank my children and to me it was normal. So it's just like, um, like you mentioned earlier, that's a cycle that continues and um, and, and we're becoming a more aware nation. I think it's just really great that we do have these safe spaces where we can talk about it and try to correct the, the issues and try to do better as we get to know that. And just thank you again for sharing tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Bill, did you have anything you wanted to say or are you just listening? I'm just, I'm actually doing some work in the background, but I am listening. I've heard oh, yeah. Mike talk before, you know, I, you know, to be honest with you, um, but I, I've heard I've heard Mike before, and, you know, I wish it was getting better, Michael. You know, it's not. Uh, we've, we've been doing this for a long time, and um, it's, it seems, sometimes it seems like we're making some progress, but then... Something will come along, like the pandemic came along, and it tore down that, you know, it tore all that down. And um, now we're we're going to have to build back to a place where we're we think we can, you know, where I believe we're, we'd be making progress. We're not there right now, 
there's very little progress being made. Um, but that's why it's so important that we hear these stories and hear the hear the facts and get the reports, you know, um, and perhaps, you know, rediscover what it, the ACE study was. Maybe that's that's part of it. You know, maybe we're letting letting things slide. I don't know. Um, but I know I'm you're not. That, yeah, no, I'm hoping that one or two people that we've heard tonight will go and look at their report download it, send it to a state rep. It will take a little time to look at it. You don't have to read the whole thing, but pages 19 to 32 tell you the story of these really unhappy, unfortunate children. And if you send that to your state rep along with a note, then email only takes a minute. Uh, And if you find, you see, they want better answers. State reps are lobbied by every moneyed interest in the world. They don't have time for this. But you're a constituent. You put your name to that and say, I support at-risk children, and this report is very important. It's the only one in the country right now. It sets an example. It could be a game changer. And, you know, I, when I talk to people, I didn't say it tonight, but when I talk to people about this and I'm trying to tell them on how important this is, I tell them we could empty the prisons, we could uh, turn around our schools. In Minneapolis, we just had a report come back that 10% of the third-grade black children could do math at grade level. And, I mean, broken schools are in, all around the country. We've got a particularly bad case here in some of these areas for racial disparity. But this report is a game changer. It needs to happen in every state. And so anybody oh, yeah. that can share any of this with anyone is making a difference. If state reps get it, if people that make the decisions, the laws, and the funding begin to understand this is terrible and it's expensive, you know, um, I'm so glad you're willing to let me talk about it, and hopefully others will pick up the banner and 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 let others know also. That's how these things can get legs and make a difference. Well, it's not difficult to let you talk about stuff like this. Uh, it's so important. It should it's, it should have a whole, you know, the, a whole big choir, but it really doesn't, unfortunately. Um, but you but your uh, voice is pretty clear, and you're very good at, um, you know, like on your website, you have all kinds of stuff that's very useful. And this particular report is, you know, it it could be a game changer, as you say. But it's important for us to talk about, for us to have you talk about it, you know. So. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It I is. wish we it could turn the whole country into a child advocacy center. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Well, the CASA organization is an interesting organization for people that that want to be a part of it. The Guardian Ad Light yeah. work is right. really rewarding. You know, you get to know the kids uh, and their families, and it's, it's really something. Uh, if you think about this, the CASA organization allows community volunteers to go in and do some good. And you will have a child turn to you and say, you mean you don't get paid for this? Because they all think that it's just a money tree for people that are talking to them. They do. You know, right. they get jaded pretty fast. 
And I, I tell you, some of my most heartwarming moments were when a kid would say that kind of thing to me, and I always go, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, the community wants you to do well. That's why we're here. Yeah. That's on our website. Yeah, I've thought about that. That story. Yeah. I thought I saw those, all the stories of at the bottom. All We've got short stories. videos and all kinds of, uh, again, we try to cover the waterfront on foster care. Uh, you know, there's one on impossible questions and painful statistics. Did you know in America that you can get married at 11 in 17 states? but you cannot get divorced until you're 18. You have no standing in the court system. America is the only nation in the world, 200 nations, to not have signed the United Nations Rights of the Child Treaty of the 1980s. And that means that in most of these states where they can get married in 11, uh, the, the age difference is ridiculous. It's really a perverse thing. I mean, because 40-year-old men marrying, marrying young girls, and uh, they, they have to live with that abuser. There's also a law that says that parents can withhold their medical care, their child's medical care, for religious reasons. Some states, you don't even need religious reasons. So kids die in those states. Um, it, it hurts me to think that, you know, we've become anti-vaccine and all that stuff, but when a kid is actually faced with a life-threatening illness, and it's been common for years that uh, children die in the States where those things are true. I, I don't want to get too deep into parents' rights and children's rights, but children really have the same rights as women had before they had the right to vote, and that's the rights of chattel, which are just about zero. The court can take them out of a home if their life is in imminent harm. And every judge has a different view of what that means. There's a lot of states, a lot of counties where the family is sacrosanct, sacrosanct and uh, the child has literally no rights. There's just no way that child's coming out of the home. And that's, again, why I think these states, if they did a report, an investigative report on child death in their state of children in Child Protective Services, they say there's about 1,500 deaths a year, according to the National Review. But a lot of these deaths just aren't reported. And when you get into the level of investigation that this investigation got into, you see that there's going, there's going to be a lot more. And as a matter of fact, there's probably about 200 if you extrapolate from what wasn't cooperated. And uh, it has just... Nothing to do with the kids that do the self-cutting uh, and come close to death in their own behaviors or the tortures. And actually, the concept of torture is a big one that I didn't talk about. The World Health Organization defines torture as extended exposure to violence and deprivation. And in Minnesota, there are five levels that you have to reach there, uh, you overcome to be considered torture. Of the 50 children that I removed from homes as an active guardian litem over 12 years, 
uh, I would say half of them were tortured, where they were abused by sexual abuse or beatings or other terrible things. And one little child had half her body burned off and uh, just insane things. And again, uh, you know, nobody ever goes to jail. I shouldn't say it quite like that, but there's a lot of reasons for that. The idea, though, is to make the child safe. That's where the imminent harm doctrine and making sure that judges understand that children have to be kept safe. And to the extent that assessment services, family assessments can work and services can be provided, I am all for that. But not, not if the child's life's in danger. And this report shows that it's pretty clear when the life of a child is being endangered and that it's, it's time to get the kid out of the house and give them a chance to get to age 10, 12, 15, where they can kind of start taking care of themselves and learn the skills they need to live with us. Thank you. I've, I've been just looking around your website a little bit, too. I was trying to get some things on here that I want to read. So thank you so much for all of your information tonight. It really has been very informative and we don't really talk about this a whole lot. So I'm glad that you're, you're able to come on here and, and tell us more facts and stuff about this. I love, too, I love reading about the ACE study because I, it was kind of my aha moment of, oh, that's why I do certain things I do. That makes sense, you know, and kind of coming to that realization that, I'm normal for what all I went through. I mean, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, actually. <laughs> so that's always kind of nice when you kind of have that thought of, you realize that, um, you know, I'm I'm actually doing okay, even though sometimes I'm hard on myself and think I could definitely be doing more. But um, uh, it never ends. We just keep living. It's wonderful <laughs> that we're malleable human beings, given a little help. Yeah, it can work just so well. It's so much more rewarding when we can look back and think, yeah, I got over all that stuff. We have a financial literacy class now for kids in child protective, yeah, that have come through child protective services. And one of the things that we found that they really didn't have, me kind of going off on one of the programs we have, uh, is that they're just hungry for information. We're working with a bunch of foster kids and another group of single moms that have been through the system. And, you know, I feel so sorry for kids that have all those problems. But they are so excited to learn budgeting, to learn how to earn money in a better way, how to not, you know, it's a big world. It's a complex world. There's so much going on. But if you love learning a little bit and uh, you can find a program, I'm trying to expand that. We have been gifted money from different organizations to fund this program so that we actually give kids, right now we're about $1,200. It's a two-year peer group program. And uh, the idea is to work with underserved populations uh, that, you know, they have to come to a group. There has to be an organization working with them. Right now, again, we have a foster advocates group and we have a single moms group. And uh, over the two years, we have monthly meetings. 
peer group. So the idea is not classroom training. We try and meet people where they are, deal with their problems, and most of them have credit problems, and some of them have judgments, and some of them can't find work, and it goes on. But the idea is to share your stories and to learn some things and to change some habits, get rid of some bad ones, slowly, slowly, <laughs> so they stay gone, and then get some good ones. And then by the end of the thing, you've got a Schwab account and a savings account, and you understand exchange-traded funds and how to start building wealth. And hopefully, we are early in this process now, but at the end of the program, it'll still go on. I mean, people in peer groups can stay together for 40, 50 years. Just you call somebody when you've got an issue that you think they can help you with because they've helped you before or you help them. So I'm all about peer groups for every kind of thing because it's a complex world and it's good to know who your friends are and it doesn't have to cost a bunch of money. You know, it's just being able to think outside the box and not all of us can do that all of the time with all the stuff we got going on on top of everything else, you know. Well, it even... I think at times, I know for me, my brain gets foggy, and I'm not sure why that happens. I don't know if that's just some kind of a response to maybe stress that's happening now that I, you know, had had experienced in my past or something like that. But um, I'm always going to be working, I know, in some kind of therapy, (laughs) and um, it's just you know, it's just the way it is. It's just going to be that way. So it's it's best that I realize that and, and not, you know, play too much into it that I'm going to get cured one day or, mm-hmm. or something. I think that's what I thought as, as a younger adult, you know, one of these days I'll just be completely cured. <laughs> and, yeah. We're complex beings, <laughs> you nice know. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's lots to yeah. know. And I don't think anybody ever gets it all figured out. Einstein, you know, there's a few of them. But he had his issues, too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, we've got um, just a few minutes left. We've got about 10 minutes left. So is there anything else that um, he wanted to go over? And anything else you want to put in there for our listeners? That if if there's a way that I can uh, be, you know, I've thought about coordinating with your organization in other ways um, because I do believe that Child Protective Services is, you know, certainly the only big organization that reaches out and tries to help children being abused in every state. And I thought that some of the people that you have come in contact with over the years or will come in contact with may be able to work for the advancement of abused and neglected children in those states. When I say that this report is a game changer, I really truly mean that. If you look at it, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable document. It, it's, it was funded by our Supreme Court Chief Justice Kathleen Blatz. And, uh, a lot of people put a lot of time into it. And even though it still only scratches the surface, it tells a complete story. 
And if we extrapolate from that complete story, uh, we know that every state needs one of these reports. Uh, we're looking for, uh, you know, a funder that would, uh, that would pick it up and run with it. We're looking for individuals that will, again, as I say, download it and put it on your computer screen so, you know, so that it's there. You can just slap it on as an attachment and send it to people because one out of two, three, four, or five, I'm going to read it. And they're going to see that, and they're going to see that the depth and scope of child abuse in America is horrendous. And uh, if they come to our website and they start to look at some of the things that we've got there, they will see that uh, the cost of this is bringing us down in quality of life. The streets really are not safe in many cities, and the schools are really broken in many cities, many communities. And all of this just adds up to say that if we can figure out a way to turn the tide, the trends of how we handle other people's troubled youth and their families. You know, I didn't say much about Northern Europe, but really the rest of the industrialized world has outpaced us. We used to lead in all this stuff, you know, quality of education, quality of public safety, quality of public health. We own those spaces. And we don't anymore. We've got more mental health problems than any other nation in the world, really. And I say industrialized nations because we don't compare ourselves with Rwanda and that sort of thing. And not that Rwanda is a bad place, but we are a wealthy, wealthy nation, and we've been one of the world's leading democracies for many, many years. And uh, it's embarrassing to know how far we have fallen. And it's a sadness. Our politics stink and all that, but... Uh, at least we should be able to agree upon taking care of children. If you're two years old, you should get a shot. You shouldn't have to worry about going to prison for the rest of your life when you're 14. You shouldn't have to, but you do. Uh, you know, where do we find our friends here? How do we build a coalition that has some information and passion uh, to help these kids stay safe, lead a good life, and, you know, that gives us better schools, safer streets. It's a bonus. <laughs> and lower taxes, I should say, way lower taxes. That's, yeah, that's probably easy. all I got to lead in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike. appreciate that. appreciate all that you've shared this evening and um, – We'll definitely send people to that investigative report. And hopefully some people will take your advice to do that. I will. I will definitely be doing it. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anything else, Dr. Nancy, you want to say before we close out for the night? Mm. Sorry, y'all. I just put a really hot fry in my mouth, and that's the time that you asked me. But um, that was burning my mouth trying to try to choke. Um, I just want to say again, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for sharing the resources. And I really enjoyed listening to you, and I got some great resources. And I'm going to be checking out your website when I get home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Drive safely. 
And Bill, anything else you'd like to say to Mike? <laughs> Is he doing stuff? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that me? I was muted. Yeah, there you go. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't I know you to say. No, that's okay. I'm... I'm um, I'm hopeful. The last stuff that Mike talked about was um, how America has slid back and we're no longer the, the the prestigious nation that we were. We're no longer seen that way, and we really aren't. A lot of things we've let go. That's important that we, you know, pay attention to that stuff. I really, I really think, um, you know, and I think education, like like you said, Mike, with the 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 grading of this, or the, yeah, the grading of the school kids being so low now in, in terms of reading. That's the same thing with math, I'm sure. <laughs> the basic stuff, you know, is not being done. The really basic stuff, and uh, that's only going to continue to hurt our country and our people, you know, if we don't fix that. So, you know, and then of course, I bring it back to child abuse. We know that the statistics of child abuse are still horrendous. And they, we thought they were getting better for a little while. Of course, I never thought that, I never thought that we would get rid of it, and I've always told people that. And NASCA doesn't operate that way. But we do operate with the hope we can, um, you know, reduce some of the statistics and put a dent in them, as Carol says. Um, but it's tough. I'm not sure that we are doing that. You know, I, I think... The, during the pandemic, there was more stuff going on that we knew that we, than we knew that was related to child abuse and uh, and to you know into homes that were uh, you know re- really foul. You know, they weren't better; they were foul, and um, children suffered. You know, the parents suffered too. But then another thing that happened, and I'll just bring this up very quickly. You know, children in that era, in, in the last couple of years, they stopped being um, social because they're, they're, they were on a computer screen and nothing else. I think that's a big problem, too. So anyway, Mike, we are very delighted that, you're, that you come back to us, and that I hope you feel like you're a part of the NASCA family. That's how we feel. <laughs> and... Um, you know, you're welcome here anytime for any in any capacity. Well, thank you for having me, friends, and we'll talk you again bet. in the future. All right. I appreciate okay. the opportunity. I call in anytime. Yeah, you're welcome to call okay. in this number anytime and be a part of our panel and join into other conversations. We'd love to have you. Thank you, friends. Yes. So I guess uh, we'll go ahead and close for the night. Thank you, um, Bill, for being on with us. We always love to have you on with us. And Dr. Nancy, thanks for being on this evening. And then, of course, um, Mike, for all of the information that you brought to us. And don't forget to go on and download that investigative report and then send it on to your legislature and your state. And another way that we can help children. So that's what we're about. We need to to make it our priority. Invisibleinvisibleschildren.org. Thank you.
Invisiblechildren.org, yes. <laughs> Thank you for, for saying that again. I should have said that, yes. Invisiblechildren.org. They're also on Facebook. I just looked them up and LinkedIn, and so you could connect with them in any of those places as well. So thanks again, Mike. Okay, thank you. And as we say on NASA's, um, there's enough adult eyes and ears out there in the world to watch out for all children. So please, if you see something, please, please say something, and let's keep our children safe. Have a good evening, everyone. Good night. Good night. I'll know tomorrow, because that's gone.